Welcome to the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I... Thank you. Thank you for yeah, your applause. I felt like it was needed. It is. Yeah. Thanks, Shelly Mazanoble. You're welcome, Greg Tito. Woo! Woo! Oh, I missed you. I know. I'm sorry. I let you down. Over the last few weeks, I've had to talk to Trevor. I know. My God. It's terrible. I know. It's not like you don't talk to him enough. I know. Sit so right like, next to him. Exactly. It's like, all right, let's go hang out with each other in a room again. Bummer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I know, and we haven't been carpooling that much. It's true. Is oh, it, is it means... because I left you on the side <laughs> I need of the to, road? <laughs> yes, it's exactly that. I need to ask you, can I get a ride home today? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, we do have to do the daycare pickup. Do get daycare pickup. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. And as long as this podcast gets over by 520, we should be fine. Okay. All right. Well, there you Putting go. Putting this in the banter. Putting making it, it part See, of the Because we are like multitasking parents. It's true. We have yeah. so many things going on. We do. We yes. got things to talk about. We've got play dates to play on. We got Dungeons and Dragons to play. We got Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, exactly. And it's about time I'd say that our kids started playing. I think so. Yeah, it's right about. They're already pretending. Yeah, Quinn's already doing voices. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yep. and uh, I think Fiona's pretty much a, uh, a DM because oh, uh, yeah, she can oh. tell people what to do. She put the smack down on my child. That's right. Yeah, proud. Was totally fine with proud daddy moment. I was proud too. As you should be. Yeah, nice. I like that. Well, if you are proud of us as. Uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons podcast hosts, please go to iTunes and, and give us a could good. How could you not be with that like five minutes of awesome of awesomeness? Chatter. I know that's like the best banter ever. Tell us uh, what you think about uh, the podcast. Give us a good rating, and this lets us get to more people. That more people know about what Dungeons and Dragons is all about. Yeah, uh, and we'd be really, really psyched uh, about that. What else is going on? And we tell have... us who you want us to talk to. That's right. Something yes. we get really good. Um, Recommendations. I've been on the throw in the throes of, of of booking some really great, exciting people. So yeah. I can't wait for you guys to listen to that. We got some other exciting stuff happening with the podcast too. But oh. some Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Go check out uh, Curse of Strahd. Uh, you can pre-order it now. It's going to be out in stores uh, March fifteenth. Very cool. It's an awesome adventure. We talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago uh, with Chris Perkins and Tracy Hickman, uh, and uh, it's 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 fantastic. If you're interested in finding out. Uh, what your fortune is, you can retweet the uh, official Wizards D&D Twitter account, which is now taken over by Madam Ava. Yeah, no kidding. And she She's will, working hard. She's working really hard, drawing yeah. Taroka cards. And she's and quick. She's just like, puts it right out there. She's telling you some dire things about zombies. It's and very important. were rats and all the Thank terrible. God. I, I know. Mean, my favorite are the Dark Lord picks the, uh, when that card is drawn. It yeah. says terrible things. I'll, I'll like leave that. it to you to find out. And you like that. Yeah, it's kind of like, you're home, hopeless. You're going to die. Sorry. Oh. It's amazing. I love it. Okay, well, you didn't get that card and ask me to carpool on the same day, right? Because <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> I need to see your Taroka nice. card before I say yes to this. And I have to give a quick plug to the uh, people who made uh, the bot for us. Uh, it is from the Field Train Co-op. Um, uh, Darius Kazimi and Courtney Stanton did... Uh, they tag team doing the programming and the writing. It was amazing. It's so cool. And uh, really, really great people. If you ever want to do something uh, like this on Twitter, I, I, would, I would reach out to Field Train. They're okay. awesome. Do it. All and right. Thank you, guys. Done. All right. We have an exciting guest. We have Wolfgang Bauer coming into the- How'd you do that? Actually into the office. I know. It's amazing. We're it's tapping nuts. into this local Pacific Northwest- Hotbed uh, of- Hotbed of designers scene. So many. So many. So many. So, so many I'm, game design companies and designers and- we're just, just going to get more and more. That's where it happens. It's true. 
where the magic happens. So I'm going to go actually physically get Wolfgang right now. Okay. Bring him down into uh, this room and we'll start talking to him. I can't wait. Well, welcome, Wolfgang. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Oh, thanks for the invite. I'm happy to be here. It's exciting. It so, is exciting. Yeah. Nobody uh, ever just like comes in person to talk to us. It's, you, you know I live in Seattle, right? Well, you know you're going to be our <laughs> guest do. like every other week. I know. Yeah, we'll lean on you as like the, uh, <laughs> uh, the always on the couch you, guy. Well, yeah, you know. you'll get your own segment. As long as the snacks and the green room is still loaded with free magic product and the latest D&D releases, I'm here for you. That's right. Exactly. See, now we would get a lot more guests if... If, uh, if they came if physically and we got them some stuff, we picked the red M and M's out of the bowl just yeah. for you. Oh, yeah, 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 make sure Contract you fill writer. out your, your yeah. writer. Game nice. designers are rock and roll stars. At least in our heads, we are. <laughs> for a very small group of people, you're rock stars. It's true, yeah. but well, that that number is growing. Greg and I have toddlers, so I'm very familiar with picking oh. red M and M's out of a bowl and doing and out of other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like today, actually, I gave him an orange M and M, and he said, "That's not orange." Like, that's flat-out orange, kid. And he was like, that's not orange. <laughs> that's not orange. I'm not accepting that. that yeah. That's yeah. Your I would not orange. accept your orange. So back to the drawing board. That was like a Jean-Luc Picard, like, there are four lights, like, moment. <laughs> you were trying to gaslight him. <laughs> I, did, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> Those are not. These, this you is orange. can't anything. You, Ryan, you just wait. That's your future. That's that is your future. Uh-huh. But anyway, yeah. So tell it. I mean, uh, our you're listeners, kind of a legend. Know you? Uh, no, I've just been around a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell us about your long history with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Where did when did you start playing? Let's start well, there. Start at the beginning. Start How did this all begin? Playing. Um, there was this hobby store in town, and I went there for craft supplies. Wait, are you talking here? In, are, did no, you grow up here? No, like, I grew up outside of Chicago, so it was okay. in a suburb there, like Lagrange, and I. There was a hobby store, and I, I went down there for hobby stuff. Mm-hmm. But the hobby wasn't role playing because I had no idea what that was. Um, like they had model airplanes and macrame and oh, you know, that was my make, that was my jam. Stained glass, whatever, right? They trains, had it all. A lot of trains. trains, and then they had this weird thing. There was this box with a dragon and a wizard on it. It was sort of blue. Hmm. I said, "Huh, that looks cool." I've been reading this Lord of the Rings. That's kind of what is that? This this art is. It's not typical of the hobby store of the late 70s, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh, man, 10 bucks. I can't afford that. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. Maybe I'll get it for Christmas. No. Uh, and I begged and pleaded for months. And I, I, it was given to me as a gift, a blue box D&D. And I roped my kid sister and the neighbor kids into being my first players. Nice. That's how it all yeah. begins. It, it really is. How and old I'm, were you? 12, maybe. Nice. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Sweet spot. Um, but, you know, I was a big reader and a giant geek, and I loved fantasy of all kinds. So I said, all right, this is it. This is cool. Let me figure this out. And the sample adventure and all the rest. And before long, there was a hardback in the same hobby store, right? Mm-hmm. Like, called the Monster Manual. Ooh. And I said, ooh, I want that. Um, and, you know, by this point, I was, like, mowing lawns, doing whatever it took to get my gaming fix. And releases in those days were, hmm, Kind of like releases today. <laughs> Few and far between. Few and far between. Every couple of months. High quality books. High quality books and hardcover, right? Yeah. I was totally into it. So that's where I got my start. Um, and I wound up playing at the library with a bunch of kids from school. And I, you know, I was the dungeon master. That was my thing. Was that what, what drew you in, that you could create 
these stories? That a lot you were of reading? it was, yeah. A lot of it was. Well, there are dwarves and elves, and it's basically I get to pretend that I am running Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. If you had looked at my first campaign map, it would have been like, well, mm-hmm. this is Rivendell over here. Um, <laughs> here's but, Mirkwood. Here's Mirkwood, and here's a few of those things. Like I was pretty obviously just ripping it all off. Mm-hmm. But over time, it was, well, I could I could put my own town right there. And the realization that, you know, oh, well, I can do my own world building. Boom, the top of my head went clean off at age 13. And I said, I'm never going to rip off Mr. Tolkien again. I'm doing my own stuff. <laughs> and getting to do my own thing was was really a big part of the appeal, right? I had these, a, a few reference books and resources, but everything else was, hey, let's make it up, guys. Mm-hmm. And you're the heroes. What do you want to do? How did your uh, your kid sister and the neighbor kids, did they, did they continue and be players, or did you find you know, a different group? I found a different group. My kid sister was like, well, that was fun, and that was interesting, and I'm done now, right, after <laughs> a few months. Right. And the neighbor kid was like, yeah, that was, uh, it was okay, but I think he was a year older than me. And, like, being seen with me at school was not a good thing. Especially when you were like, I've got this great adventure. Right. You want to play? Yeah, yeah, big geeky thing. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't fly. Um but no, with kids my own age, I was like, well, five or six people, we took over the library. Yeah, it worked. That's cool. Do you still Are you still in touch with that group now? I'm in touch with a couple of them. Um, they're almost all still in the Chicago area. Oh. So it kind of, I left town, and in the way of things, that often brings up the group, right? That's true, so. yeah. yeah. Well, now yeah. in the age of uh, uh, online games, I mean, that's, I hear so many stories of people who are like, oh, I got the band back together after 20 years. Totally fire up the virtual tabletop, do yeah. the fantasy grounds or whatever, roll 20 and go. That would be a blast. I don't know whether any of these guys would say. <laughs> they're still doing it They're, they're not, still right? doing it. Well, they'll lead interesting lives. Facebook makes sure that I know at least something. Something about doing, yeah. right? But That's cool. So none of them went into the game industry? They did not. Yeah. No, they they, uh, they went into more lucrative or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not nearly as fulfilling, I'm sure. But not nearly as fulfilling fields, exactly. Isn't it weird, though, to think, like, at 12 years old... The future you was, would could make a career out of this. Uh, if you had told me that then, I would have said, yeah, no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but by the time I was 15, it actually did kind of happen because that's when I submitted like my first manuscript to Dungeon Magazine. Really? Um, At yeah. 15? Yeah, 15 or 16. My parents had to sign releases. Because um, you were a minor? I was a minor. Yeah. I could not sign away the rights to this adventure that I so desperately wanted to have published, right? But I had to, like, type it out on a manual typewriter, and I had to send it in. And the beauty of this was, like, you have to wait months for a reply. Yeah. Right? Like, I have a query. I would like to publish this adventure with you guys. I followed all the directions, and you sent a self-addressed stamped envelope, right? Like, that's how long ago it was. Right. In the 80s, no real internet. And it came back, yeah, sure, your adventure sounds fine, kid. Send it in. Right? That, and I was like, oh, that's good. So They're like thrilling. my query. I guess that's how easy this is. Oh. <laughs> I'm a professional now. I'm a professional at 15, and they <laughs> bought it. And I was like, all right, awesome. This is great. And I told the kids at school, hey, they're publishing my thing in Dungeon Magazine. And like the very next issue, I'm like, hey, guys, it's here, the new issue of Dungeon. Oh, my adventure's not in here. It took them about eight months, I think, to actually get around to publishing mine, because that's just the way the publishing calendar went. Yeah. Those eight months were hell. Oh, you're like no getting doubt. every new oh one and God. being like, yeah, yeah. like yeah, oh, guys, I didn't lie to you, really. It's okay. true. They bought it. <laughs> I, my parents had to sign a contract. <laughs> so, so they actually paid you for this? Oh, yeah. How they, much, do you remember how much you got paid? Oh, man. It was an insane amount of money for the 80s. One million dollars. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
no. I wish I could remember the exact. It was I less mean, than $100. It was like 70 bucks, maybe? This is awesome for a 15-year-old kid. I know, Even right? A 15-year-old kid uh, today. I think well, that's so Well, you know, I grew up with cool. the kind of parents who said, well, you're going to put that in your savings account for college, right? <laughs> You're like, no, yeah. I'm going to buy more D&D books so I have yeah. more material to make more. I'm a right to the hobby now. store. Yeah. This is an investment in my future career. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's where I got my start sort of professionally uh, was with the magazines. And I, I loved doing that. I did that a few times um, with Dungeon and a couple times with Dragon. And then I went off to college and figured, ah, that's it. I, I got to study. I got to, like, find another path. Except that there were so many gamers at college, mm-hmm. yeah. and I kept running stuff, and there were all these great things going on, sort of creatively, in RPGs. So you went to school in Chicago, right? Well, actually, I went downstate. I went to the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, okay. right? But still so. generally in the same area generally, as Lake Geneva. Yes. So, I mean, I, 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 tell me if this is true, but I've heard like it kind of spread out organically from I think that's the true, right? Like the Minneapolis group was a big center point for it because of Dave Arneson right. and the Blackmore group. And, and Wisconsin was a huge center point for spreading. And in between, right, like Kenosha and Milwaukee was where all those Gen Cons were held. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of central Midwest gaming everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and going from college to college and things and like that. And going from so. school to school. So, yeah, it was big on college campuses. Um, but at that point, right, I mean, we're talking late 80s into the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were gamers and there was a lot going on sort of in the hobby. Um, so when did you start uh, working for TSR? Working for TSR was when a friend of mine said, hey, they're hiring. And I said, that's nice. TSR is hiring. How cool. Are you going to apply, Steve? And he's like, no, you're going to apply, dummy. You've oh. got these credits, right? You should apply. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to college. I'm, I'm busy. Um, and I sent in, I, I felt like one of those guys in the commercials, you know, I'm going to gamble a stamp and send in my resume and who knows what will come of it. And they called me back and I was like, what? You really want me to come out there and visit Lake Geneva and talk to you guys? But, but really? Okay, I'm in. Um, and they told me later, uh, Barbara Young, the editor at Dungeon, and Roger Moore, the editor of Dragon at the time, that they'd already read my work and knew I could write and had some facility with language uh-huh. and understood the rules and could write things that people wanted to read. They're like, yeah, we want you on the magazine staff because you already fit the profile. What we wanted out of the interview was, are you going to embarrass us? Are we going <laughs> to hate being in the same office with you? How's your personal hygiene? All good right? questions. Can you, survive, um, can you survive a lunch making pleasant conversation? Are we going to like you around the office? Right. Um, because like the actual skills test was all of the things I wrote that they had to edit previously. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that was fascinating just to be like, hey, I'm a, I'm a hot commodity here. And well, I have good I'm hygiene. A, and good hygiene. And I have hygiene, right? <laughs> the, wow, my parents were right. Manners matter. They do. See, <laughs> I'm going to use you as an example. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, it, was, it was a blast. They were hiring a lot of people at that time. Rich Baker was hired, I think, the same month as I was. Mm. Aww, um, yeah, and Thomas Reed and John Ratliff. There's like three or four people who were all like yeah. central to TSR history at that time. Yeah. Um, and I got to be, well, on the magazine staff while they were launching Planescape and Al-Kadim and Ravenloft was hot. Um, all so what year, what year was that when you moved? 
to Lake Geneva? Uh, let's see. I moved in or, 1991, I want to say. So you okay. left. Did you leave yeah. college to go to Yeah, I left college. Job? Actually, by that point, I was like in my first year of grad school at Cornell. Oh, okay. so, but you whatever. went to Cornell? I did. I went to Ithaca. Ah, see? Hey. Yeah, I, I did summer stock in Ithaca. See? Did you really? Yeah, at the oh. Hangar at, Theater. Oh, the Hangar yeah. Theater. All right, we all know this part of the world. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous. It is. It really it's awesome. Aww. That's bumper stickers. That's the thing oh, I remember Ithaca most about Ithaca. <laughs> it is gorgeous. And it you can is. tell the raccoon stories some other time. <laughs> you heard that one. No? No. no. All right. Now you have to tell the now raccoon story. Now it's a total tangent. It has nothing to do with gaming. It's but right. the story was that some freshman at Cornell had been drinking. You know, there are bridges over these large gorges. Yes. And she fell off the bridge. Which would be a horrible story. You think, ah, a drunken college student falls to her death in a gorge at the at Cornell. Except that she fell onto a raccoon that was walking <laughs> below her in the gorge, broke all of its legs. But oh, she dear. survived, and the news report, the reporter had the best story ever, right? I mean, yeah. they get to write this up, college student saved by raccoon. Um, <laughs> raccoon survives, and you know, raccoon did not comment for our story, oh. but is expected to make a full recovery. Well, they, have, they have an excellent veterinary school at Cornell. See, so, the veterinary yeah. students must have pulled that raccoon they did. through. That was like somebody's final exam. Um, that life, you know, that raccoon saved a life, so it all makes so sense to save is, the raccoon. I'm going to Google this story. This all is, right, this probably no, it's not an urban legend because I read in the campus paper. It really? must be true. It must yes, be true. Snopes. Let's Snopes it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to There was no Snopes then. <laughs> You could print you anything, anything in the college. That's true, right. Imagine the freedom of no snow. I know some people who worked in the college newspapers. They uh-huh. did print a lot of They would never make up a quote or, or BS a story about a raccoon. It was almost too good to be true. It is. It sounds too good to be true. But that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so you left Ithaca. You went to Lake Geneva. I went Geneva. to Lake Geneva. I had been to Lake Geneva before on summer holidays from Chicago because it's sort of a vacation town for people. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the office was sort of... You know, big and warehousey in the outskirts of town, not in the big tourist district, but tons of space, all these people who I only know by their names and the credits, and they put me right to work, right? We're working on these issues, we're doing this, we're doing that. Um, and yeah, I spent about four years there working on the magazines and freelancing like mad on al Qadim, Planescape, a little bit of Birthright, uh, a little bit of Planescape. Yeah, man, that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and it was the period when D&D was doing settings every other week. Yeah. Um, and doing them with some success, but, you know, later people say, well, you did too many. I loved only this one. You should have done everything on that one. Mm-hmm. So um, It's funny we get the opposite comment now. Now <laughs> right. it's the opposite, right? No, I love that thing. I remember all those things. Yeah, like you Birthright. You 50 of them. Every single one you just mentioned, I've heard comments this week about, like, you should bring that You back. should bring that one back. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm here at the dawn of all these settings, but I don't see how, you know, the company at the time was like 120 people. How are 120 people in Lake Geneva going to keep all of these campaign settings supported? You know, keep it up in the air with new box hiring sets. Hiring 15-year-olds to write it. Apparently hiring 15-year-olds was part of the business strategy. Well, That's you know, brilliant. we had freelancers working with us. We had the magazines for monthly support. Um, it was a good time to do to do a lot of that. But So were you doing design work on any of those settings? Or yes. was it mostly, okay. I did design work on those settings, but uh, in my after hours weekend stuff my day job (laughs) was editing the magazines for Mm. tsr right so i mean that's where i was spending my day 
But then I'd go home and say, okay, I want to work on this Alcadine monster book, or I'm going to work on In the Cage for Planescape, or I'm going to work on Planes of Law. Yay, yeah, let's do that. Um, so you were like living, breathing, yeah, no I was twenty-four seven, pretty much. Yes, I had a fifty-mile commute each way to Lake Geneva because I really wanted to live in Milwaukee, a real city. Mm. Um, and Lake Geneva was too small for me. Man, I was a snob about urbanism at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not now living in you know, oh wait yeah in living Seattle? in Seattle yeah. yeah no I wouldn't go live in the sticks. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I I'm a city boy now. Yeah, I'm the same way. I saved Greg from living in. The sticks. It's and true. You moved here. Right. Yeah. yeah. I almost moved to like uh, Kent or, or uh, farther places. Uh-huh. Well, that, that was exactly where I lived when I when I started at TSR was a town called Woodstock, which is out in the cornfields of northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm. Google even, it sometime. The, it's where they filmed Groundhog Day, the town square where Bill Murray steps into yeah. the puddle. That's right next to my apartment in Woodstock. So. Did you jump in that puddle often? No, man. They should have put up a plaque yeah, or a historic right? marker. None of that. Just a picture of him punching that guy. <laughs> <laughs> they could have figured out a way to make the puddle pay for tourist dollars. They would have. They couldn't figure it out. So we got to we gotta know. Mm-hmm. Chris Perkins yeah. talks about how he submitted adventures to Dungeon all the time. Yes, he did. And they were rejected. Well, did you was... reject him? Was that you? Who did this? Um, I probably rejected him once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know for sure. I saw so many manuscripts. But I remember Chris's stuff coming in and me going, wow, this is, A, it's well written. B, like, he's got a command of language and grammar, right? And C, holy cow, look at this map turnover. I've seen, like, Really? That's so funny. You actually remember seeing this stuff. No, because I... Well, I was the slush pile reader and the low person on the totem pole for a while, right? Mm. So that makes you feel better about your own work that's in a, some that's ways. That's a good job. Like Bob was Bob Salvatore was pulled out of a slush pile. Yeah, so you know, you somebody's the first reader who yeah. has to say this is good. This is yep. well, actually, what you really say is, oh my god, not again. No, right. no, no, no. Stop no, hurting no, me. Stop, stop hurting me. Right? <laughs> and there's a lot of junk. Like ninety seventy-five to ninety percent of it, you can just kiss goodbye right off the. Right away, yeah. right? It's like, I'm I'm going to have to rewrite this for it to be publishable, so no. Um, and of the remaining, like, 25 to 10%, some of it really stands out and makes you, like, pick up the manuscript and run down the hall and say, Roger, Barbara, look at what I found. you got to read this. And I think Chris's first submission was one of those. It was like, oh, wow. this is really good. No, who is this guy? Oh, <laughs> right? that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, I guess he's living in Canada? I, I don't know. Has he <laughs> got a track record? Do you guys know him? He's really good. Why is he in the slush pile? Um, and, and so I just passed it up the ladder, and that was his first publication. And he could tell you which title that was, and I, for you the life You discovered of me, Chris Perkins. Nah, I wouldn't. No, he earned that. I, he, but you <laughs> pulled him out of the slush pile. Yeah, I guess so. Well, that's a good But credit. I don't think I'm going to hold it over him. You said it in a podcast. That means it's true. Yeah. <laughs> we never lie. It's true. Or embellish. Well, I mean, I was there for a period of four years. There were a bunch of people I saw for the first time and said, this is really good stuff. And that was always a good day, right? Right? That was yeah. a happy day. So did you for feel at that too. time there was like a, uh, a a boom in people wanting to write for something like that? Because it seems like it was about, you know, 10 or 20 years after D&D got into the public consciousness. I don't think it was the boom years because by 95, the company was having trouble with payroll. Right? <laughs> I think I was thinking, oh, we got all these submissions. People were still playing. I don't think the company was 
Well, maybe not the boom in sales, but the boom in in, in creativity. The boom in creativity was there, right? Every one of those new settings made somebody say, yeah, Spelljammer, I'm going to write the coolest space pirate adventure ever. Mm. Um, Or Birthright, I've got this idea. And so every one of those sparked somebody's imagination to say, I want to start creating. Yeah. Um, And I love that, right? So that stuff all came through. And frankly, even without those, like half of the slush pile every single month was... Oh, somebody's bringing their generic or their sort of general fantasy with a twist. They're doing something cool that fits anywhere. Mm. And that's what a lot of readers want, right? We we tend to think that the campaign settings and the worlds are the heart of it all. But a lot of people still do homebrew. Mm-hmm. They oh, did yeah. then and they do now. Yeah, and then they use uh, the, the books we produce now and produce yeah. back then as inspiration. As like, yep. oh, I can do this or I can you know use this one detail or this character. and Yeah, a new class, a new monster manual, that's always, always popular, right? Yeah. And a new adventure that they can just plunk down into their game every week. Hey, that's... <laughs> That's a good thing. That is good stuff. So did you move when, when TSR was acquired by Wizards? Did you move? I had skipped before then. I was the early rat off the ship. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was hired by Wizards of the Coast in 1995 oh. uh, before the acquisition happened. And I spent a year um, working on the Magic the Gathering role-playing game, which apparently every designer at a certain time in Seattle worked on. There were like five versions of that. Um, Wait, how, did, how did Wizards find you? Well, they knew about my TSR work. Okay. So they said, oh, were well. Were you looking or were you just. I wasn't they really just... looking. I heard from a, again, I heard from a friend. Mm-hmm. Hey, they're doing something with a role playing game. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know. Things look grim here in Lake Geneva, right? Mm. It, it was not a happy time. There was some there. writing on the wall. There was some writing on the wall. Um, and I, I said, well, I guess, I mean, everyone and their dog loves magic. And. They're doing great, and now they want to get into role-playing games? Well, I think that might be a really good move. Mm -hmm. And Seattle's, all right, I'll go. Um, And I wound up, I was hired by Jonathan Tweed. I worked in the RPG division. I worked on, like, the Battletech card game back when, MechWarrior, Netrunner. Um, So I got to see all of that happen, but a year later, it was kind of awesome from my perspective. <laughs> uh, was it? Well, it was because, A, the company that was having real trouble, like, keeping it together was all of a sudden saved. D&D yeah. was saved, right? It was yeah. bought out and moved lock, stock, and barrel to to Renton. And I said, hey, all my friends are coming. So you left on good terms, I take it. I, I did not burn the bridge <laughs> on my way out, but I was like, mm, I, I did not say later, suckers. I just said, you know, I... I gotta get out of rural Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. And you should too. <laughs> and you should too. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the scout. I'll tell you if it's cool. <laughs> well, that's good. You're like the ranger of this, yeah. uh, this party. I really was. Yeah. I was the ranger who was expected to know everything about RPGs. Like, <laughs> well, okay. I think I'll, I'll give that a shot. Nice. Because well, it was a, I mean, it was very much a card company when I arrived. Yes. Yes. And uh, it uh, it's changed a little bit then. So so let's fast forward a little bit to uh, uh, the mid two thousands, and you're sure. starting up uh, Open Design, which yeah. Um, so like all good decisions, I founded the company on a whim <laughs> <laughs> when I was sleep deprived after the birth of my eldest daughter. Uh, she was born, and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And one night. <laughs> I'm blogging on the internet, and I say, ah, man, I miss writing all that stuff. I don't write that much. I'm doing this and that. Huh, I'll put out a tip jar. Hey, people. This was like 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. 10 years in March. 
Um, throw some money at me using this newfangled PayPal system, and I will write an adventure that I will release to the public. I was like, all right. Let's That's it. It's 1.30 in the morning. I'm tired. If there's any money in this tip jar in the morning, we'll see, right? But probably just a dumb idea after midnight. I wake up and I'm like, <gasps> 30 bucks. No. <laughs> I've got 30 bucks and a dream. And I was like, okay, I'm off. Now I'm going to promote this, right? Some people actually threw into the hat. And I'm like, how much does art cost? <laughs> more than kid. 30 bucks, as it yeah, turns out. More than 30 bucks. Well, the first project was held together with spit and glue, right? Yeah. Uh, it was for third edition D&D, and it was called Steam and Brass, and part of the it was a very steampunky sort of city adventure. Um, and part of the appeal was, it's exclusive. We're not going to put it out in hobby stores. Secret note, because I don't know how to put it out in a hobby <laughs> store. <laughs> you can't get you it in there. You just on the word exclusive. Yeah. Yes. You don't know how to do something. I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to create some and mail them to people. I was going to be digital only, right? PDF only. Until you were ahead of the game. I, 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 I was so far behind that it felt like being ahead. Being ahead Somebody right. was lapping me, but I was like, ah, it's exclusive. You're like, I can't get this next to trains or macrame, I but know. I can get it into your computer. I have no idea editor. how to print something. Well, I mean, but the nice thing about D&D is there's a ton of creative people out there. And if you ask the community to help out with a playtest or with some brainstorming, yeah. or in the case of that book, I believe Jason Engel was the cover artist. Mm. And this was well before he illustrated Magic Cards. And I was like, Jason, this is what I can afford to pay you. And it was more than 30 bucks, but not a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> like, what can you give me for that? He's like, I can give you a single figure Maybe a robot, not too much facial expression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the, the artist is like telling a you. Deadpan robot. It can have three lines in it and a circle. You get to put them wherever you want. I didn't know how to be an art director either, yeah, right. by the way. So I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Um, and he came back with this amazing steam golem which has sort of an icon of the Zobek setting and has showed up everywhere else since. But it was like, man, that is an awesome steam-powered robot golem thing. Now I just need an adventure to go with it, right? <laughs> and and we were off to the races. So that was the founding of the company and the first product. And it was sort of D&D from then on uh, with one little excursion into Call of Cthulhu. So, yeah. Um, ten years later, I'm publishing hardcovers. You finally found yeah. how to get it into stories. <laughs> I, yeah. I can get them in the hobby stores. Hey, I figured that out. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, on uh, uh, ten years. That's a pretty yeah. great, you know, it is. amazing anniversary. We're gonna do something on the Cobalt Press website to say, "Here's where we've been, and this is when we interviewed Dave Arneson, and here's our latest thing." Right? Yeah, nice. cool timeline. Yeah. So when did uh, when, so you started it and you called it Open Design? When, yep. Why did you change it to to Cobalt? Well, because you're doing the Cobalt Quarterly. The Cobalt Quarterly magazine was a nice thing for about four and a half years, but eventually I said, I'm spending four months a year on something that doesn't actually make any money, <laughs> really. And I loved it to death, but I couldn't turn it into something that that really clicked financially or business-wise. Yeah. So it's one of those great creative stories where at the end everybody's like, okay, we're exhausted. Um, and my wife and I were stuffing envelopes, and our friends like would come over for an issue, stuff all the envelopes, and then like, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some wine. Here's some wine, right? <laughs> it's, it's like that's not sustainable. Um, so it was the fanzine that, that grew so big that eventually I said, okay, I, I want to do things like hardcovers, and I want to do bigger projects, 
but being interrupted by uh, having to produce a magazine quarterly meant I couldn't get those projects off the ground. Um, and so we let it go after 23 issues, which is still kind of, <laughs> still hurts. Mm. But I think it was the right call because since then I've been able to do big books, yeah. uh, Midgard campaign setting, uh, Tyranny of Dragons. I mean, there's been time to address much bigger, um, much bigger creative pushes, let's right. say. Right, right. And, and a, a magazine like that is very time intensive. Yeah. It is. And I mean, if you look at the first couple issues, it's like, well, there's a fanzine and gosh, they've got heart, but <laughs> they need an art director. Um, I did my own layout on issue one. I'm still embarrassed. <laughs> and I shouldn't have. Uh, but yeah, Cobalt Quarterly reached a lot of people. Um, the PDF and the print went all over the world. It was picked up for distribution like um, in military bases. People read it in Afghanistan and Iraq. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing about it. It was very, very revered. It, it was very, very uh, well loved. Yep. And I'm like, okay, so this is great. And everyone knows us as the Cobalt Quarterly Company. Yeah. Nobody knows what the heck Open Design is. So I said, okay. Well, I hear there's this company called Hasbro, and they have this imprint that's called Wizards of the Coast. How does that work? Oh, oh, it's like an imprint, like a press, right? Random House owns 15 million imprints that are the... All right, we're calling it Cobalt Press. It's still open design somewhere under the table, but everyone knows the Cobalt name, and nobody knows open design, so let's just go with it. Yeah, well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So it's still, the LSE is still called it's, something. It's but, still open design. But, right. But it's... But as far as I'm concerned, I'm running Cobalt Press. And you are Cobalt in Chief. I am Cobalt in Chief. I don't know <laughs> if that's a lofty title, but it's... <laughs> where, did that, where did that nickname come about? Uh, Just because it was Cobalt Quarterly and you were... It yeah, was a funny joke? Or? It was a funny joke. It's like, well, do I want to be Editor-in-Chief? No. We're, we don't take ourselves that seriously. I'm Cobalt in Chief. Look at my funny headdress, right? Look at that. <laughs> it's not because you leave traps for all of your uh, uh, minions yeah, your to fall like? into. Our offices are dangerous. I'd invite <laughs> you up there, but bring you know, bring a ten foot pole, bring a few expendable rogues. Rogue. <laughs> yeah. uh, Shelly, we need uh, some rogues. Can you? I will round them up. Rustle yeah. them up. Yeah. Bring, bring your toddler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, worst rogue ever. Yeah. I got to say, the Cobalt Warrens are, are quite forgiving to uh, adventurers under about three feet tall. So oh, you'd be, he'd okay. be Oh, yeah. He'd be perfect. Right. It's actually. It's not good for a rogue to have light up shoes, though. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, auto fail on your stealth checks kind there. Of. Yeah. You're kind of defeating the purpose. But Super intimidation. Stylish, but <laughs> yeah. yeah intimidation factor is high. <laughs> He's got magic feet. <laughs> That's what he showed Fiona, his light up shoes. My son showed his daughter. Mm -hmm. And she was like, our shoes light up too. <laughs> she was not impressed. <laughs> I'm no, so not impressed. Like, oh, okay. Because my mom said these were cool. <laughs> <laughs> that line's not going to work. Oh, for us. No, no, they're bringing your mom up, kid. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> We were t so you have a, a, a daughter who's about 10 now, I guess, yes, right? Yes, my oldest is about 10, and she's uh, she's wonderful, and she's like, yeah, you go do your gaming thing, Dad, as long as... She's know. not a gamer? Uh, she is and she isn't. She likes to play, but she hates to lose, which is pretty much... She's a gamer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was like this at her age, too. I was just a terrible loser at 10. Mm. Like, I'm losing at this Monopoly game. This game needs to end now. Flip the table. <laughs> I was just about at the table flip point, and eventually I got over it, but I don't know. At certain ages, kids are like, no, I'm winning. 
Yeah. Maybe yeah. you've seen this. Maybe you haven't. Toddlers, they tend to just say, no, that's not orange, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I want. No, you don't have boardwalk, right? I <laughs> those <laughs> are no, my hotels. Those are my hotels. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we need to get through this stage of, of, you know, cheating your way through a board game because it's killing me here. Yeah. I'm trying to raise your right, kid. But um, but no, we actually picked up the, the dungeon board game uh, oh, nice. quite recently. It's, I don't know, beautiful new edition. Which I'm like, this is age appropriate, and it's not like a 300-page manual to read. So for a 10-year-old, I think that's fine. When she's yeah. 12, nah, she's going to be running her own games. Nice, that's yeah, good. That's yeah, we were thinking about. I mean, I've, uh, my oldest is four, and I'm trying to think about like when when should I do a D and D campaign now? I feel she's, like she's right. She's the giving queen. Like she she's is, already creating characters. She is. She's got I, lots of voices. There's a ton more options for for younger kids, right? I mean, the board games. Card games, yeah. uh, and and RPGs natural. that are yeah friendly for kids. And now I want to show you the picture of my daughter. Last night she made me uh, make make a wizard's hat and a wizard's <laughs> oh my wand God. for yes. her. You and you're yeah. asking when the right time is to start role playing. Now is the time already role playing. But she wasn't a wizard though; she was a magician. Okay. She kept saying, and then she like came up with magic tricks that she was doing. And I was like, all right, oh, they're almost sure. there. But you wanted to start casting some fireballs, uh-huh. some yeah. magic missiles. Those are the base. She'll get there. Yeah. She still believes, Girl Mommy, that her. fire is probably bad. <laughs> yeah. Fire around the house. In the house. Yeah. That's, that's why you they want focus to cast on... fireball, you go outside and cast fireball. <laughs> or your sister can be the uh, uh, Elsa, and you guys can have fire and ice oh. battles. Oh, sibling rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. That Do might you... feel a couple things. So you mentioned uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I, it's be, I, I loved being... I was on the consumer oh. side at that point, so I was excited about... You know, you guys working together, it seemed like such a fun... I don't think I've been that excited about a phone call in some time. <laughs> I mean, it was Mike Merle, so are you at all interested in working on the new... Yes! <laughs> Before you even got it out. You, you want to hear the terms or what we're planning? No, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I was ready to, to just jump on that train the minute it showed up. Because, come on, uh, people who work in this field, this is this is the launch of a new edition. It was super exciting. Yeah. Um, and then Mike told me, so this is the timetable. And I got slightly less excited. <laughs> That's going to be hard. I'm going to need to throw some cobalt press things over the side to lighten the ship. But um, but we got it done, and it turned out really and well. It's awesome. And it turned out awesome. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's miniatures and these maps and all this sort of supporting stuff. And Adventurers League has done a version. And I'm like, okay, let's go to town with that. So, um so seeing that at Gen Con and signing books for people was just a blast. Oh, that's uh, cool. Steve Winner, my, my co-author, uh, and Alex Winner on, on Rise of Drag, uh, Rise of Tiamat, they, uh, you know, they went to town. We said, we've got dragons and a cult and the realms. This seems like a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and now more recently, we said, well, what if we did a little more of that, right? Yeah. Um, the Frozen Castle thing came out just last week. I know, and it's, it's like shooting at the charts. It's up the charts. It was number one briefly, now it's two or three. I'm not On sure where it is. On the Dungeon Master's Guild. On Dungeon Master's Guild. Oh, that's awesome. And it's like the lost chapter, if you like, for Tyranny of Dry... Or yeah, for Tyranny, but specifically for the Rise of Tiamat. It's for like 10th so When did you write that? I didn't. That was Alex did, Winter. Alec, when did he write it? Like, he wrote it... Oh, man. He wrote it back when we were thinking about Tyranny, or at least we proposed it. Oh, wow. But cool. we that cut so it cool. early because it was like, no, nah, this isn't going to fly. We don't have room. It's sort of tangential to the main storyline, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, so let's not. And it never went into, um, 
either book. Into either book, because it was like, no, that's not as crucial. But sort of looking back at it, it's like, well, it actually adds a nice wrinkle, sort of joining the two halves. Um, it, it ties up, I don't know how many spoilers you want in this show. <laughs> it's okay. It's spoiler spoilerific. Yeah, well, if well, you guys are we'll worried about spoiling the two-year-old uh, Yeah, I know. Campaign. It's been two years, right? Yeah. You've all, all played through this. Yeah. So, like, you know, Skyreach Castle kind of crashes hard. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, Shelly. The ship goes down in Titanic. <laughs> it's a ghost at the end. It's a ghost at the end. Yeah, sorry. it's all those things. And I'm like, okay. And it crashes. And it's like, well, but we're on to save the world. So that sort of gets brushed aside, right? Yeah. It's like, well, what if we went back? And do we get the crashed castle? It's full of magic. And there's a lot of giants who maybe know how to make it fly again. Oh, yeah, let's go with that, Alex. And then it's like, hmm. None of this has anything to do with the Cult of the Dragon, really, directly. So it, it got the axe, but the more I looked at it, I'm like, well, there's no reason not to run with it. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, 14 pages. There's a really cool role-playing section. Okay, I won't spoil it because Frozen Castle is Yeah, don't spoil, don't spoil that out. Yeah, yeah for uh, sure. So. There's one role-playing sequence that I'm just like, mm, I really love this part. I hope yeah. groups have fun with it. A lot of the comments on DM Scale has been like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a really well-written adventure, but they were lauding about the role-playing. There is a giant slugfest at the end, so it's not like, and there's a slugfest near the start. But, but in the <laughs> but middle. But in between. It's like an Oreo cookie. Of, there's creamy, delicious role-playing opportunities <laughs> with dwarves and yetis and giants. And oh, that's something awesome. Something for everyone. There really is. And I was like, wow, we crammed that into 14 pages, and we got a cool cover on it. So DM's Guild makes that possible, right? You can do something in the realms. That, uh, that would be off limits otherwise for a third-party company like Cobalt Press. Yeah. Um, and it was a blast, so we put it out there. How is your, so, I mean, yeah, talk a little bit about uh, DM's Guild. Like, what do, you, what do you think about how it's gone out? I mean, it's been out about a month. As, has it been a month? I guess yeah, it has, yeah. I was talking about it, yeah. Um, I didn't know what to make of it at first, because it's like, really, you're going to open up the realms to fans? Is this a good idea? What are you going to get, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it turns out, wow, you get a lot of good stuff. And kind of like the old slush pile, it's like, well, yeah, maybe that's 75, what I was thinking when you were talking about 75 percent of it is like, yeah, that's okay, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't want it, but I want this other thing over here. It doesn't matter, right? The cream is going to rise to the top. Yeah. Um, you're going to discover some new people, the the Chris Perkins of the era, if you will. Yeah. Right? Somebody uh, is going to submit something to DMs Guild and and make everybody say, wow. You did this cool thing with the Red Wizards. We love it. Um, and and so it's a big opportunity, especially for people who aren't already in the industry. For somebody who's been around for a long time, it's just like, well, here's your golden ticket to go play in the realms whenever you feel like it. Mm. Um, I don't think people are going to take their homebrew campaigns into it very much. Maybe they will, but I, I kind of doubt it because um, they could just publish that under the OGL and keep the rights and whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, more, it's more designed for, for being, as you said, to be able to play in the for, Forgotten Realms. It's a beautiful sandbox, right, yeah. with all the, all the toys. It's like, hmm, I, I can do that. Um, and Al-Kadim is apparently part of it. Right? I saw the Reddit where Jeremy and, and Mike were, were talking up that, well, technically... Uh, Al-Kadim is part of the realm, so if you want to go there, you can go there. And I'm like, yeah, I do want to go there, but <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, you know, uh, it's been a long time since there's been an Al-Kadim supplement, and I'm thinking about writing one. But Think about it, yeah. 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 It's well, tough, that's, that's the reason why we, we, we did it, honestly, was just to, to, to be able to get people excited about 
jumping into things that, that previously had been off limits. Right, yeah. right. No, I think it's it's a really nice way to open the door. Obviously, Hasbro's retaining rights and is doing the sales and promotion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like a walled garden, but a really nice way to get access to to this IP without jumping through a lot of legal hoops. or Exactly. Like, hey, you know, bugging wizard's lawyers for a contract and a license and so on. They hate that. Yeah, I know. But they, they have do. to do their jobs. They're like, God, I don't want to do my job. I want to do a contract. contract. Another licensee giving us money. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we want money? It's terrible. <laughs> we hate it. We hate it around here. No, but I I think DM's Guild is going to keep growing. Uh, more interesting things are going to come out of it over time. Um, it's early days yet. I mean, a month yeah, is, is a good start. I'm excited to see how yeah, much content is up there it's insane i don't yeah. I, th- I think we were you know uh, uh optimistic but certainly not assured of of what was, it was going to be i'm just going to warn you 90 percent of everything is <laughs> at the bottom of the slush pile but even 10 percent awesome is is still a it's 10%. really great yeah. yeah that you would material you wouldn't see otherwise and there's something to be said about the 90 percent you know, because at least you can see, you know, A, my writing is not as bad, so maybe I should, you know, pursue my own, like, similar to what you, how you were feeling when you were sure. looking through this slush pile. I'd be like, oh, you can feel really good about yourself. It's like, man, he published this? I can do better. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a, a whole lot of authors get their, game designers get their start with, I can do better than that. Yeah. Um, and so... <laughs> Inspired by awfulness. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> but, but even the people who are doing something that's moderately awful... I don't want to put this the wrong way. They're they're out there working their creative muscles, right? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. They're they're getting feedback too, and right. the more that they're, they're going to get better, they're yeah. practicing. Yep. Their next one, they'll say, "Well, everybody hated whatever." You know, <laughs> <laughs> we are guinea pigs. I'm sure I can come up with something better. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I'm going to totally get a wire. A wear guinea pig. <laughs> we're guinea pigs of the realms. <laughs> Why would you hate that? I don't know. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I want one for a pet. Space okay. hamsters are off limits, people. Those are a spell jammer thing. But miniature Boom. giant space hamsters are totally fine. <laughs> I'm glad someone's tracking this. I'm I need a continuity person to make some of these oh, calls. We've got that. <laughs> we do. We spent a lot of time on that. So cool. I'm well, I'm excited to see Frozen Castle out there. It seems I like it's doing too. really it's well. It's doing really well. Um, I'm hoping to do a couple other, if not for Tyranny, then maybe something for Al Qadim. Um, and we'll just see how they go, right? It's it's a real opportunity for people who want to play in those sandboxes. Yeah, it's super cool. I think it's... Sorry. No, you do it. No, I don't know why I just decided to talk when you were talking. <laughs> oh, because I'm too... We'll edit this out. We'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> do it. What are you going to say? Fix it in post. Yeah. Do you still have that, that your first adventure? My first? That, that um, dungeon published? Oh, yes, I do. I have that issue somewhere. Do you? Oh, what, yeah. Does it hold up? When's the last no. time you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say it's a you know heartbreaking work of staggering insight, but um, I, I think I'd do it differently now. Would it would it be in the ninety percent? I don't know. It floated to the ten percent top at the did. time. Yeah. I still have a total soft spot for it, but um, yeah, no, I would do it differently now. See, something about years and years of doing game industry adventure design, like. Yeah, I can see what I was trying to do. But yep. let me fix that for you, old me. The older me. <laughs> Younger me. I wonder, kids, yeah, can kids you do, I mean, games kids designers can totally do that way more than like novelists can, for for example. Like you can't just you can't go back and fix your first novel. <laughs> I'm gonna no. rewrite my novel. Yeah. Better. Even though even though I guess Tolkien did that. 
He did edit Hobbit after Lord of the Rings, right? He did. I don't think it's a good idea, though. I think it's onward and upward, new things, try something different. I mean, Cobalt Press is always like, let's try a new thing. Yeah. Um, That's why we were fairly quick to jump on fourth edition and likewise fifth. It's like, man, love the new stuff. Um, Cool. So what's next uh, for for Cobalt? What what you got in the hopper? Oh, we got more fifth edition goodness. Um, Nothing in the realms at the moment that I can talk about. Uh, but something homebrewed that is, I can probably, well, we did a Kickstarter for a new monster manual yeah. called Tome of Beasts. That was really edition. awesome. It was huge. Yeah. What do you know? And there's an OGL, so we can publish it. That's hey. very convenient. Good timing. Good timing. <laughs> 400 new monsters for 5th edition, heavily playtested. Um, we're just hammering on it now. It'll be out this summer. Um, and What's that like coming up? So uh, for a book like that, are you uh, designing those monsters or do you have the staff and you're more of like the creative there's editor? There's four main designers for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like the least of those four. The others are pulling like 100 monsters each. Yeah. Right? Um, and then there's a ton of people who are just contributing a little here or a little there. One of the nice things about the Kickstarter is we asked every single backer, send us your best fifth edition monster and we're going to publish the top 20. Nice. And so we wound up with a hundred and something monsters, and we said, "Well, we thought with you know more than two thousand backers, we'd get two thousand monsters, but no." <laughs> <laughs> and we we took like the top twenty, and they are awesome. People came up with wild stuff, but they each have one credit, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. still nice. It's a starting point. Absolutely. Um, and and then the other thing we're doing, of course, is playtesting like mad. We have hundreds of playtesters now hammering on these things, so. Um, that's always where we realize, oh, we thought we knew exactly where we were going with this dragon. But in fact, it's another TPK, and we might want to dial it back. Yeah. Um, Playtesting is so important, especially with monsters. Yeah. 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 Especially at the higher challenge ratings. Um, a lot of archdevils, demon lords, super high-level fey, dragons, all that stuff. Challenge 20 plus. Uh, yeah, you need to play They're going to be jerks. They're yeah. going to be jerks. They're going to be nasty. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we're that's ha- fun. We're having a good time with that. Do you have like an Uber group? Because I'm just worried <laughs> thinking about this playtesting. Do you have like Uber group of, of uh, 20th level 5th yeah. edition characters that you just kind of throw against well, them? Well, Mike Shea actually has been running a group through, I guess, the Nine Hells or something in one of his campaigns. And he's like, give me all the devils you got. Well, yeah, but some of them are arch. I can handle it. Nice. And so <laughs> he's like, he had a bunch of players who were already playing, whatever, 18th level characters. Like, yeah, that was not so... You know, the damage. So <laughs> add, a, add a couple die there. Yeah, add a couple dice there. Um, and, and it was really great feedback because his group had been playing together f- since the playtest days of 5th edition. Oh, right? so they knew the ins and the outs. They knew the ins and the outs. And these characters, they knew the ins and the outs, right? So I'm like, okay, if we've got that kind of playtest group with somebody like that, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, that's that's super valuable. Yeah. yeah. So what's your, what's your uh, uh, favorite... High-level character so far from the Tome of Beasts. Uh, favorite. Oh man, uh, most deadly. I think the Void Dragon is still my favorite, just because it's it's a Lovecraftian dragon from space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, that's the, it, the art is amazing. Uh, I got to do the write-up on a beast that's been like haunting my homebrew campaign forever. Um, I finally have to reveal stats to players. This is the part that sucks for me, right? It's like, the cool part about homebrew is nobody else knows what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. And now I'm going to publish it. And every time I do this, I'm like, now the world will know my secret thing. (laughs) 
my players are going to read this. I know they will. I've been fudging dice all along, <laughs> yeah. and now it's, they'll never the know. It's out. not secret and mysterious and, and horrifying because it's unknown anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know they're reading You'll the monster manual. You'll come up with a new one. Oh, I totally will. I've already got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> I, I know some players aren't like that though. Some players like the mystery and don't, and they don't do. have a monster manual at the table with them. There's always one player. <laughs> there is. There is always <laughs> one. <laughs> monster manual memorized. I'm like, oh, I need to reskin this monster just so you won't guess it in the first thirty seconds. And yeah, right. Or they'll ask those specific questions. You're like, is this monster is this vulnerable to radiant damage? Is this monster on page eighty? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is, Frank. <laughs> Curse you. Cur- <laughs> But yeah, it's good fun. Um, high level stuff, low level stuff. The art is stupendous on this thing. We've been showing previews, and I'll be happy to direct people to the Cobalt Press website to check it out sometime. Yeah, nice. So that's coboldpress.com. Yes, it is. Nice. So yeah, do that. Kickstarter is closed, obviously. Kickstarter is but... closed. Pre-orders are probably opening up right around now. Oh, good. Cool. Out this summer, and yeah, I I look forward to hearing the stories of. Man, I wiped the party with this one. <laughs> Those will be the best. No, the playtest reports that I'm enjoying most are the ones that are, um, hey, that turned out. This monster really challenged my group and made them think in a new way. You mm-hmm. really made our group like stretch and think, and and we had a blast. Mm. So we're we're not just getting uh, reports that are, hey, you're way off. We're getting a lot of confirmation of what we're already doing. Um, so it's, you know, you don't always get those reports. Those no. are the ones that people are like, he doesn't need to hear the good news. About a monster. Monsters as life coaches. <laughs> really made me think about myself. Yeah. And my I've taken a struggles. new direction as a monk. I don't, yeah. you know, flurry of blows. I don't really feel a need no. to pummel people anymore. I don't. <laughs> I'm really feeling very introspective. Thank you, Void Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) PhD. (laughs) Come sit on my couch of gold. (laughs) That could be your next book. You can have that. Couch of Gold. Coming soon. Life coaching with dragons. Awesome. That'll be your next book, Shelley. Yeah, I'm saying. I might take that one back. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's that's more a you title. It kind of might be more my thing. I think you could make that work. There has to be a chapter there where the void dragon is a uh, uh, a bachelor and yeah. has to give a rose to several characters. Void dragon give a advice gold, on a your gold love life. <laughs> Will you accept this gold coin? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm out of here. Screw you, void dragon. Yeah. They never say that. Yeah. Never say that to a dragon. Do they ever refuse a, uh, a gold coin? Right. Once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it seems unlikely, but yeah. yeah it but could happen. He well, knows what we're talking about, by the way. He does, of course. He's mm-hmm. it's a big fan of Bachelor and Bachelorette. It's The Bachelor. What? Not just oh, Bachelor. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, branding. Come branding. on. <laughs> Hashtag The Bachelor. <laughs> There's an ampersand between Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> All right, so a dragon-related Bachelor spinoff. Yes. I, I'm sorry, The Bachelor The spin-off. Bachelor. I Let's like, do it. I like the where dragon. we're going with this. I, 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 I'm thinking it's even more a you book than a. Oh, really? Sorry. <laughs> I'm honored. Nice. Right, well, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Why? And, uh, go, Why? It's just getting good. We're going to go directly to our <laughs> brainstorming meeting uh, all right. for this Casting. reality television show that we're, we're going to be pitching to all the networks. They're going to love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Wolfgang. Yes, Thank great. you for having me. I had a blast. It was really great. That's uh, uh, we could talk all day about uh, uh, the old days and and, 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 and the new days. I'll still be here in the studio talking later. <laughs> Fine, nice. you're well, local, you? so come back anytime. Yeah, we want you to Thanks, be guys. a frequent guest. Let's do it. I love it here. Okay, all right, do good stuff. Thank we'll you so try. much.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was really great talking to Wolfgang Bauer. Shelly ditched me, so I'm doing my little outro all by myself. But that's okay. She had to go run and do some very important things. Uh, I will give her crap for it later. Don't worry Boo! about it. Boo! Boo, Shelly! That's right. Me and Ryan are going to do this outro all by ourselves. That's right! <laughs> I was just saying off mic, but I'm going to say it on mic now. We shout out to Ryan, our audio engineer, a lot. Uh, but he really makes this show awesome and is what it is. So I'll shout out to you again. Booyah to Ryan Marth. Boo! All right, that's it. He's got his fist pumping in the air, and that's all that's important for you guys to know. Uh, It was really great talking to Wolfgang Bauer about uh, history with TSR. It's so great to hear someone who was there on the ground uh, in in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, and Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and all that fun stuff. So very excited. Uh, And what's happening uh, on the DMs Guild with the the Frozen Castle is is badass. So if you haven't, go check it out. It's dmsguild.com or dungeonmastersguild.com. Both addresses will work. Uh, and search for Frozen Castle. It's the interim between uh, Rise of Tiamat and Horde of the Dragon Queen. Uh, it's a cool little fun thing. I haven't read through it myself, but I've heard nothing but uh, fantastic stuff uh, about the role playing and uh, the, the combats in there. And it's great to hear that Wolfgang Bauer playtests this stuff uh, at Cobalt as much. It's always the uh, the best when uh, you know that it's been it's been put through the ringer of a well experienced group. So. You can always expect that stuff with Cobalt Press uh, materials. I am Greg Tito. You can follow me at Greg Tito. Ask me anything about the podcast. If you have new ideas for new guests, we can definitely um, uh, work on getting them on here. We're always looking for for new voices uh, about DMing or D&D in general, so uh, feel free to reach out to me there. You can follow Wizards underscore D&D, which is now taken over by Madam Ava, as we mentioned in the intro retweet uh, the pin tweets that she has there and you will get a Taroka card with a fortune uh, in celebration of Curse of Strahd the new adventure set in Ravenloft in Barovia coming out March 15th check it out then um, Wolfgang Bauer I know is at Monkey King so you can follow him on Twitter there and then of course CobaltPress.com thanks guys we'll see you next week you're awesome